0: Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro, and this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today I have the great honor and privilege to introduce you to Dr. Michael Amster, who along with his co-author, Jake Eagle, wrote the book, The Power of Awe, overcome burnout and anxiety, ease chronic pain, find clarity and purpose in less than one minute per day. Now, When this book was sent to me, I kind of thought to myself like, yeah, okay, but then as I started to get into the book and absorb the information and then put the AWE method, A-W-E method, into practice, I started to get really, really excited. They have found a clinically proven alternative to the benefits of meditation and in a way shorter amount of time, less than one minute per day. The benefits of mindfulness and meditation or mindfulness meditation are well documented at this point. No one can argue that, but it's not accessible to everyone. There's so many busy parents and busy professionals out there who really are struggling to find the time for a daily 20-minute meditation practice. And then for those with anxiety and intrusive thoughts, Oh man, even the thought alone of meditating is painful, honestly, or it's even just impossible. And I know this because I have been there. Now, especially if you follow me on Instagram, you're like, what are you talking about? You meditate every day. Yeah, now. (laughs) Now I meditate every single morning. But trust me, it took me a while to build this habit. And I actually didn't become a consistent meditator Until I had actually eliminated my generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder. And then after that, I was able to really get into meditation. So if you're anything like I was and meditation just isn't in the cards for you right now, not forever, just right now, you are going to want to listen to this episode and check out the book, The Power of Awe. The Awe Process is a three Step. It's three simple steps that are clinically proven to reduce stress, anxiety, and inflammation, just to name a few things. And Dr. Michael and I really get into the science behind how it's reducing inflammation in this episode. Which, if you listen to any of my other episodes, you will know how crucial it is that we reduce inflammation if we want to release chronic anxiety. This may sound too good to be true, like what three simple steps, but let me tell you the results are very, very real. I may not experience chronic anxiety anymore or have panic attacks, but I have experienced almost instantaneous shifts in my mood when using this process. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Michael. I was riding high after it for days. We are very aligned on so many things, and I hope you read the book. I'll link it in the show notes so that you can start to experience the power of awe and reduce that dang anxiety. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast to talk all about the power of awe.
1: Thank you so much, Tay. It's such an honor to be here, to get to meet you and to get to meet also your community of listeners. Um, yeah, I'm just thrilled to be here and to have some great awe-inspiring conversations with you today.
0: I am I have so many questions. I'm so excited, before we dive <laughs> in, maybe just a little background on you and your co-author as well.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Michael, I'm a medical doctor I um double boarded in family medicine as well as pain management and so I've been practicing as a pain specialist for about 18 years and um I've been a student of mindfulness for quite a long time and became a meditation teacher about 12 years ago at a place in California called Spirit Rock Meditation Center and completed a 2-year training program and um I think we have a little bit of a similar story uh, I had a An experience of panic attack and anxiety when I was in college, I think similar to your story, Mm -hmm. Um, studying for an exam and had a full-on panic attack where, you know, my heart was racing and my mind was completely shut down and kind of overtaken by that anxiety experience. Um, And because of that, I really dove into meditation and mindfulness as a way of helping um, manage my symptoms because I someone who always wanted to be a doctor since i was a little boy i i remember being three or four years old and just fascinated about medicine and loved playing doctor and always liked to go visit my own doctor and was like i (laughs) want to do this when i grow up and you know as the stakes got higher as i got through the university and had applied to medical school my i got a lot of anxiety about that and so um i definitely can relate and i think the the, the practice that I pursued to help manage my anxiety, I didn't wanna be on medication. Um, uh, and I really learned a lot about my mind through mindfulness, meditation practices, and uh, did some long Vipassana retreats, which is a form of Buddhist meditation. Yeah, so anyway, about the book and of how we stumbled upon becoming awe researchers, um, I was teaching mindfulness to my patients in my practice for many years, and I have a colleague and a friend named Jake Eagle, who is also a mindfulness teacher, and with his wife, Hannah, leads a spiritual community called liveconscious.com, and I had been a student of Jake's and taken some of his retreats and meditation classes as well, and we had a conversation about four years ago about how we both found our students struggled with finding the time and the motivation and effort, uh, energy to actually have a sustained practice. Like people really have a hard time with cultivating a sustained mindfulness practice. And um, from that conversation, we came up with this idea of, well, what if we could create the sort of ideal micro meditation or micro Dose of mindfulness experience for um our students. And I've decided to fly out to Hawaii, which is where Jake lives. And we spent a week investigating what would be that ideal mindfulness practice. If you could create sort of your dream practice, what would that be? And when I don't know if you've been to Hawaii or not, and hopefully some of I your haven't. Listeners have it's had... my honeymoon spot.
0: So it's How's your honeymoon saving spot? it. <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: saving Hawaii for your honeymoon. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that <laughs> It is like there's so much extraordinary awe in Hawaii. Oh, I believe it. The sky and the beaches and the, the food and the colors of the plants and the mountains, everything about it is just so on steroid. And so it was surprising, but it wasn't actually in the extraordinary awe that we came upon this awe method, this technique, but it was actually this one moment where I was in the kitchen making pancakes for Jake and Hannah one morning. And I think like most people, when you pour your pancake batter in the pan, you you pour it and then you're off making sausage or coffee or orange juice. Or you're, if you have children, you're packing your kids' lunches for school. I mean, we are always just multitasking and doing lots of things at the same time. And I was just fully present with these pancakes and just watched in the sense of awe and wonder of how this liquid batter that tastes disgusting, you know, just transformed in a matter of a few minutes with a little bit of butter and heat into these beautiful fluffy pancakes. And I had this really profound moment of awe in this very ordinary experience that um, most of us, you know, probably have never, ever paid attention to. And from that, we decided to come up with this three step process, um, we dissected out what had happened for me. And it was actually the acronym is the word awe, A W E, which is these three mindfulness steps to having profound moments of awe on the ordinary. And so, from that, um, we're both clinicians, and we did pilot studies where we taught this very simple technique to our patients, and we both studied this on about twelve different twelve patients in each of our practices, and did some preliminary data collection and saw profound benefits with improvement of chronic pain and depression, anxiety, overall sense of wellness improving. And um, I tracked down Dacher Keltner, who's the founder of the Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley. He's a professor of uh, psychology and founded this incredible research center at UC Berkeley, which looks at all these different positive emotions and how we can transform and benefit society from understanding these emotions better. And he's really spent his entire career on the emotion of awe. But what's interesting is that all of his research was on extraordinary awe. There were these really profound moments of awe where you had to almost go to the Grand Canyon or you know, be live at a just mind-blowing rock concert. But, um what was unique about our work was that we found a way to have that same potent experience of awe from accessing it in the ordinary moments of our life. So we we set out and did some research with uh, Professor Keltner and his lab, um, which from that we wrote our book from the really awesome results that we found in our studies.
0: The timing of this landing kind of in my inbox was so perfect because I had just gone into some pretty intense burnout. And burnout was one of the the main kind of call-outs of the book as well. And I love that you in the book you talk about it as microdosing mindfulness. Cause I'm actually pretty impressed that you were able to just jump right into meditation. I don't know, maybe it was more of a difficult journey, but for me, my gateway to meditation was through yoga, but ashtanga yoga specifically as if you're aware, it's a very Tough practice.
1: Very regimented, very strict. Same thing uh, over and over
0: and over and over. over
1: again. Yeah. Yes.
0: But that's what my anxious brain at the time needed. So the only way I could find any kind of meditation practice was through Ashtanga. And over the years that evolved. And eventually I did my teacher training. And then finally I got to the place. This probably took six years where I actually developed a meditation practice. And so I am familiar with this concept of finding awe in the day-to-day, but had I not had a disciplined meditation practice for years, I don't know if I would have experienced that. And then, so something that I've been trying for about a year and a half is microdosing psilocybin. And I experience these moments of awe when doing that, when I'm just driving my car, you know, through the farm, and I'm just looking around thinking, this is so beautiful. And I'm just kind of looking around and in awe of this farm that I drive through every day, every time I go to my mom's house. And I've never really looked at it. And so when I was going through the book, and I was doing the practice, I wasn't doing any microdosing at all, because I wanted to just see this practice. And I'm sure we'll get into all what that is. And it was the exact same comparable to microdosing with psilocybin, which I thought was really, really cool because a lot of people with anxiety might be like hesitant, right? To try supplements or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with you that this practice in many ways has a very similar quality to a microdose of psilocybin. Um, what I experienced after building this practice. And we call in our book, this idea of building an awe muscle. Mm -hmm. So we've really lost in our very modern connected internet phone device world. We've lost that sense of wonder and awe on a daily basis. We're always so rushed and so busy now. And we've lost that sense of pure presence and awareness. And I think what this practice does with sustained microdosis, is that you begin to train your brain in a very positive way and this is what we know from our research as well as our colleagues research um when we've done brain studies and scans and looked at what oz doing on a physiological level in our body it's profoundly transformative and what i love about the practice as someone who's now been probably about three years now it's been really a daily practice spiritual practice and it just gets deeper and deeper. It's like this peeling off, and I'm sure you can relate to this as yogi, that that's the beauty of a, of a sustained long-term practice is that there is this depth that comes with um, more openness and curiosity and ease of the practice. It just blossoms into something that's even more profound. Uh, one of the parts of our practice, the three steps, the EWE, the W stands for weight, And um, I've been really playing with the idea of weight in my own personal life as well as professional life in a way that I've never explored to this level of like really slowing down, being patient with my patients. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so many doctors or healthcare professionals when they get in the room with the patient, they're immediately on their computer and logging in and pulling up the chart, but they're not like having that moment of pure... Presence of like really welcoming that opportunity of a pure present moment experience, and it's been really beautiful to really honor and witness my patients on a very deep level. Um, in a way I've never dreamed of before, it's been really beautiful, and I see like how much of a therapeutic benefit it is for my patients as well. To really to give now that, that you're saying that, I
0: just had this little light bulb moment go off where I used to it was almost a bragging, right? That I was just such a good multitasker. You know, it would have been Uh on my resume. Like, what's your strength? Oh, I'm such a good multitasker. And something has shifted with me in the past six months around the time that I've been doing this practice (laughs) where (laughs) I realized I don't actually think multitasking is a good thing.
1: Yeah, not at all. Actually, you know, um, I, I've we have a lot in common, Tay, which is really cool. I <laughs> went through some burnout experiences as well in my career, and um, after my first experience with burnout, I started working less. And um, I too carried the badge of being the world's best multitasker. You know, I was like really proud that I could be typing my notes and maybe even looking at email while have while seeing my patient. You know, I was like yeah. super efficient. But but what I've learned from my own you know dabbling into the research on multitasking. Um, is that when we're not fully present and bring our full undivided attention to one thing, we're actually it's as though we're we're driving drunk. I mean, it's like our judgment is impaired, we're not uh, making the best choices, and you can really hurt people um as a physician when we're multitasking. We can prescribe the wrong drug, the wrong dose, we can we can uh these are where a lot of these adverse events happen in healthcare and You know, many thousands of patients around in North America. You know, in both our Canadian and U.S. health systems, see you know huge numbers of iatrogenic or physician-caused complications from simple errors like dosing meds wrong or not being as mindful and and fully present with our patients.
0: Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. Okay, let's jump into the biology of what's happening in the body when we do this practice actually maybe do you want to give us a quick overview on how do we do it how do we what's a w and e stand for what's the quick kind of rundown on how we can practice this how many times a day would you suggest and then i really want to geek out on what's happening in the body when we build this ah oh, muscle which is just like going to the gym right and a lot of people can wrap their head around that if you want to go to the gym and you want to build muscles you have to be consistent and it's the same with anything you're doing consistent with your diet consistent with meditation or now consistent with this awe practice
1: yeah exactly um it, it's amazing that this practice which really takes about 15 seconds to do when she kind of get the so hang of quick. it that we we actually wrote a 300 page book about this. It's <laughs> just like, well, wow, how did that practice turn into such a long book? And um I, I will definitely talk about um how we do to practice, but I want to definitely refer the the listeners to our website, thepowerofaw.com, where we we have some a lot of free resources of um explaining the practice in more detail. And we have videos and recorded meditations as well as our book, The Power of Awe um which goes into more depth because i feel that even though it's a short and easy practice and effortless in many ways there is a depth that comes with really understanding it in a deeper way so
0: and i will say that i have read the entire thing back to front and it is you know 300 pages worth it's not repetitive anywhere like every page i was just like oh my gosh yes 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 so i definitely would recommend reading it we're not going to do it justice in this one hour But
1: go ahead. Yeah. So um, the word AWE, we break that into an acronym. And it's a three-step process. And so A is the first letter in AWE. (laughs) And that stands for attention. And what we're asking you to do is to bring your full undivided attention to something that you value, appreciate, and find amazing. So like right now, if you're listening to this podcast, you can... If, if you're, let's say, driving the car, you can look out at the view that you're driving and passing by, like you talked about going to your mom's house and and passing by a beautiful farm, or um, I'm out here in, in Santa Cruz, California, looking out my office, and I can see leaves of a redwood tree right outside my window here. And so I'm just bringing my full undivided attention to that, something that I value, appreciate, and just find amazing. And then in that moment, then you're going to wait. And that's what the W stands for—is a wait. It's a pause. And the way I think about this wait is one is is an opportunity to marinate, like really to let yourself soak in that that object or the idea or the memory or the person or your animal, whatever it is that you're you're having that full attention towards. And I think of it also in the way that if you were walking with a friend, and through a door, and they held the door open for you, right? And they pause and they're holding it, and then you get to go through. Well, you're doing the same thing for yourself. You're just really gifting yourself that gift of the present moment of waiting for yourself to just fully be with. Versus if you could imagine, you know, as a multitasker, you would just like open the door and keep running and going, and the door would slam shut on your friend's face. <laughs> well, you don't want to do that to yourself. You want to really just gift yourself this moment of being fully with that thing. The object, the idea, the person that you bring your full attention towards. And then the E stands for two things. A deep exhale is the first, an E. So you take in a longer exhale than your inhale. And why is that? Well, when we have a longer exhale, we stimulate our vagus nerve, which it part of it terminates at the base of your diaphragm. And that longer exhale brings you into that place of pure presence of calmness, of healing of your heart rate slowing down, your blood pressure lowering. We'll probably talk a little bit more about the autonomic nervous system in the podcast. But it's the part of our autonomic system that that occurs without any thought. It's but so while we're sleeping at night, our heart is still beating, we're still breathing, we're, we're still pumping blood and all the nourishments happening throughout our body and healing and rest is happening, well, this is sort of the master computer of that whole process. And so we stimulate that by taking a long exhale. And then the E also stands for expansion. And so what we're letting happen in this moment of awe is we're letting it really fill you up. And when scientists study what awe is as an emotion, one aspect of the emotion of awe that makes it unique from all the other emotions is that it creates a sense of vastness within ourselves. Like if you think about that extraordinary moment of all you've had in your life where you watch an incredible sunset or you witnessed the birth of a child or you're, you went to the grand Canyon, you're looking out at that vastness. Well, you feel vast within yourself. You feel connected to the universe, to God, to all humanity, to all life on the planet, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a lot of terminologies and different spiritual words, but there's a sense of oneness, of connection to all and when we create that sense of expanse within us and i i'm a very visual so i can almost see like energy filling me up or i let that experience just get bigger than me and it goes out through my extremities i feel tingling and that's what happens when you have a moment of awe right is that you you feel it's an energetic discharge you're feeling tingles in your hands or your feet or your your hairs rise a little bit on your on your skin um out of that excitement of energy. So again, the process, it's the three steps, attention, a weight, and then a deep exhale and a, an expansion. And that's the process. And what we know is that it changes your level of consciousness. It, In that moment of having that moment of awe, it brings you into a heightened state of spacious, spaciousness, of a sense of oneness, a sense of what I think the Buddha would would have called nirvana. It's where mm-hmm. the thoughts slow down or stand still we feel a sense of timelessness, we feel a sense of oneness, um, and we experience a deep presence and peace.
0: What I love so much is that it is so simple. And I tell people all the time, everything that you need to do for optimal health is simple, but that doesn't make it easy, right? It's simple in theory, but not necessarily easy. So sometimes I think people might kind of hear about this and just be like, oh, there's no way that could work. You know, it's just way too simple. But I'll tell you the first time that I did this, I was in bed and I was reading before bed and I have a red lamp beside my bed instead of blue light, you know, or a regular light. And that's what I was focusing on as my object because I love it. I'm like, oh, look at this red light that's, you know, supporting me in a deeper sleep. And I felt filled I felt that that release that you talk about in the book, which just feels like this energetic release, but before it feels like the deepest exhale, even though I'm not necessarily taking an exhale that deep, it feels greater than my exhale. But first I felt like just filled up, like just so filled up with bliss over this red light. (laughs) And I kind of just picked a random object in my house, right? So I'm like, okay, (laughs) let me test this out. Because of my plants, for example, I love my plants and I love my cats. And so I thought, okay, those are easy objects, quote unquote. So I picked this red light. Yeah. And I really felt it. I really did.
1: I love hearing that. I mean, that's what I hear from everyone that has started to really build a sustained practice where they notice the simplest things can be profound moments of awe and wonder in our life. It's just, it's incredible, just what opens up in your world um you'll see things that you never appreciated or never witnessed so it was like wow that that's a moment of awe right now um it, it's really profound like the simplest things so like making coffee in the morning can be a source of profound awe you know the smells the aromas of of fresh ground beans or you know you open the bag of even ground coffee and you just take a big whiff in and, and you can have a moment of awe with that or you can think about where the coffee was grown and. The process that happened to make the coffee possible, or the fact that the sun, which is a hundred million miles away, like produces all the light that brings the ability for coffee plants to grow, and we're like benefiting from that nourishment from the sun. It's just, you know, I go on and on. You like go every, down the rabbit day. hole, but
0: it's a good rabbit yeah, hole.
1: <laughs> it is, and what's so nice about this is, is like every morning, I, I love, I love a cup of coffee when I first get up, and I use it as my my first all practice of the morning is that you know and. Every day, it's a different practice. It's a different experience because there's so much to be in awe of, of just experiencing a cup of coffee. Um, and then what I recommend to people we were talking about, like, you know, how do you build the muscle and how you do this is to what do to do what's called habit stacking. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we have talked stacking. about this before. Yeah. 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 So attach this moment of awe to something you already do on a daily basis. So most of us start the morning with a cup of tea or coffee or maybe you freshly make some juice. So do that and find a moment of awe in that first part of your day. And then maybe you you put another uh, habit stack somewhere in the middle of the day where you can have a moment of awe. You know, like I, this is funny, but um, I mean, I have a PC, so I don't know about Mac computers, but when I turn <laughs> I'm on my Mac computer- all the way. <laughs> okay, well, what, for a PC user, <laughs> every time you turn it on before you put it in your little pin, it shows a really pretty picture. Yes. And I use those pictures. They're all like they're so beautiful. I mean, I have a moment of awe before I start my computer up. Um, or I'm, I'm starting to get work done. I just like, oh, and I can do that. What's so nice is at our clinic, I have to go every time I log into the computer in each patient's room, I have to log in each time. And it has those beautiful pictures that pop up. And I was like, oh, I can have a moment of awe right now. And I think this is actually one of the we know from our research, because we study this on burnout. But one of the ways in which we can bring this into our, our, our professional lives or our personal lives is like to have it, stack it with like something you got to do. Like I got to log into a computer in every patient room. So then I can have a moment of awe as the computer starts to open up because I just like had that connection with that beautiful picture.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: was awe-inspiring. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. Even today, it was the way the sun was coming in and bouncing off my white um, curtains it's just mm-hmm. things like this that I wouldn't have noticed before. And, you know, you talk about the five patterns of strife in the book and how awe can help with this. And I I really resonate with victimizing. I really did that when I was in the early days. It was like, why is this happening to me? You know, woe is me. Everyone's against me. Life isn't fair. Like in my early 20s, when my anxiety and panic was at its worst, and I just wasn't getting anywhere with all the therapy. And, and all the medication. And, you know, it was extremely frustrating. And it's just easy to kind of victimize at that point. And back then, I never, ever would have paid attention to these little things in my day. It was just, everything was against me. And if I had had a practice like this, I think that would have been extremely helpful because you start to see it's it's kind of like a gratitude practice, right? There's a lot yeah. of similarities.
1: Yeah, there, there is a lot of similarities. And actually, that's a common question people ask us is, you know, is this all practice the same as having a gratitude practice? And it is different. Um, you know, gratitude requires a lot of thought. So you're like making lists in your mind. I'm grateful for this. I'm appreciative of that. Whereas this practice, it you may use a gratitude or something that you appreciate to first access that awe. But then the whole practice is really without thought, it's a felt sense of Mm -hmm. that expansion of the pure awareness. Um, And what I've really found for people is that if you're struggling with this, it's often because you're trying too hard. The practice is easy and that's the beauty of it. And what is so different than a traditional mindfulness practice like Vipassana or like an Ashtanga practice, which take a lot of effort and concentration is that this practice can be done at any time, you know, anywhere, any place. It's it's completely portable. I can be in line at the airport um, and be in awe of the people that are like around me and watching their behaviors. Um, there's like tons of awe to be found at a red light. You could be in your car. You can be in awe that we even have traffic lights and how they work or you look out your window and you might see birds pass by or clouds or whatever. There's just like awe to be had in line at the grocery stores you're waiting to check out. You can be in awe of all the different types of magazines and candies that exist that people buy, you mm-hmm. know? So um, it's it's such a sustainable, easy practice that goes wherever we go. And that's the beauty of it. You know, I, I saw people really struggle as a mindfulness teacher and it was, it pained me actually to watch them Beat themselves up and to really find a hard time, you know, finding you're sitting for ten minutes a day with yourself or twenty minutes, and watching what your mind does and all the racing it will do. In fact, the traditional practice can often heighten one's anxiety. And Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not against a, a sustained practice. I love going on long retreats. I love the feeling of a of that that it's expanse or spaciousness that happens when you're off work and you're spending 10 days just walking, meditating, breathing, whatever, doing your yoga practice and having that expanse experience in your physical body and the mind, but it's not sustainable for the average person. People don't have the opportunity to, to escape like that. Most people don't, um, it's very privileged. And what I love about this practice is that it's, it's accessible for the masses. Anyone can do it and it's effortless. And when people struggle, it's because they're trying too hard. You know, you don't go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you say to yourself, I want to have the most amazing awe moment right now in the whole wide world. I'm ready. Like if, you do that, <laughs> <laughs> if you do that, you're going to sabotage it. It doesn't yeah. work that way. It the, These moments of awe happen when you just let go. And it's like, you know, being, I can imagine you in bed, you're with this red light, you're looking at it and you're like, wow, like this is something, this light really is amazing. And, and you're not trying, you're just letting it fill you up I'm looking at like breath. the
0: shadows coming off of it and you said expansive and that's the word I was looking for when I was being like I felt full <laughs>
1: yeah. it was this
0: expansion and then this like exhale and release of energy and yeah it was like then you start to see things like the dancing of the shadows like I'm never looking mm-hmm. at that you know but when you give yourself the space and the opportunity to slow down it'll it'll it almost kind of feels now that I'm Flooded sometimes with things. I'm kind of looking around and it feels like, oh, whoa, look at that, look at that, look at that. And I, but not squirrel brain. I'm really taking the time to uh to pause. Sure. Something you said made me think of a question. Um, so I know in the book you say, you know, to at least 21 days to kind of jumpstart the practice about three times a day, right? Right. So do you is this something that at some point will just come naturally and you don't have to kind of cultivate that muscle anymore or is this something that we really should be thinking about doing three times a day forever kind of thing
1: so this is a great question and I think I'll talk a little bit about our research because it, mm. it, it kind of ties into that and what we know from the science side of it so what we're doing is by building this practice or what you could say is building the all muscle is that you're going from a temporary state to becoming this this practice, becoming a trait. It's becoming now a part of who you are. And so the idea of a 21-day program, and if you think about a lot of things, when we commit to something to do it for, let's say, three weeks, 21 days, we that becomes a habit. It becomes a part of who we are. And so... We studied this with about 500 participants between two studies. We had one study with about 200 doctors and nurses in the front lines during COVID. So our studies commenced in June of 2020, which was about three or four months into the pandemic. Um, you know, the the hope of a vaccine was still far away. People were sheltering in place. People were home alone. Depression depression was on the rise. Anxiety was skyrocketing. You know, that people were really scared for their lives and we recruited in one study 300 primary care patients so you know men and women between ages of 18 and 100 and um taught them this awe method in a three-week program um where they learned to practice and we asked them to just to practice it well a minimum three times a day but we some people did obviously more than that um, and we were able to know from our data collection is that the more times you dose throughout the day, the more benefit you had. So this is what's in medicine is called the dose response. So the um, there was no side effect or negative effect from this study at all. Like there's just benefit. So you could, in theory, if you wanted to, you know, dose 12 times a day and you'd probably have more benefit. Um because what it does is it shifts your level of consciousness, it resets your nervous system when you have these moments of awe, um, and it cultivates a sense of safety and healing in the body, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about those the results that we saw in our study. So, um, we found overall between the two groups of 300 primary care patients and the 200 doctors and nurses on the front lines of treating COVID, um, which by the way, and you know in that particular cohort nationally speaking, the American Medical Association had studied 20,000 doctors at the height of the pandemic and over 50% were dealing with burnout. And so we saw that same number in our study group as well, that people are super burned out. And so what we looked at was depression as sort of our big, most impressive awe-inspiring benefit, which was that we saw a 35% decrease in people's experience of depression in this 21-day program we're learning to build this practice up and so we did pre and post and daily measures as well
0: were they um, on medication i could not remember
1: uh, well some people were but um a majority of people were not on medication wow at all.
0: that's amazing yeah.
1: so this is you know this is better than a placebo of course mm-hmm. and this is like showing the, about the same efficacy of taking pharmaceuticals, um, and actually better than, better than some drugs and Mm -hmm. equal efficacy as well, being an intensive psychotherapy. So it was on par as, you know, doing cognitive behavioral therapy and pharmaceuticals with no side effect and really quick, immediate efficacy. One of the neat things about awe is that you get an immediate reward. You feel good right away. Um, which is different than other mindfulness practices, right? You know, mm-hmm. you can you can try to calm your mind and be focus your mind for 10 minutes or 20 minutes and sit there and really struggle. And you kind of feel exhausted at the end of that. Yeah. It feels but like when you work. have a brief it's work. It's effort. Yeah. It's work. Exactly. And what's beautiful about this practice is it is effortless. Um, the less, the less effort uh the the better the probably the outcome is which is a wonderful lesson for those of us that are high achievers and <laughs> push ourselves hard to learn yeah. to go with presence instead of force in our lives
0: i tend to um, attract a lot of type a's probably because it takes one to know one
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um we also saw decreases of depression sorry of anxiety by about a quarter 25 percent, which again really good results mm-hmm. um uh considering, you know, the the speed at which this practice works and, and changes people's lives. Um, we saw decreases in burnout, decreases in chronic pain, decreases in other chronic health symptoms like headaches and um, digestive problems. And we also saw an overall improvement of well-being, wellness. So like we did well, well-being measures and an improved sense of mindfulness. Like the benefits of mindfulness we're seeing in this brief technique as well um yeah and one other really cool uh finding was a decrease in loneliness
0: yeah by a very significant amount
1: which is really interesting that this emotion it we can be alone and have these moments of awe and yet feel connected to others to to god or to the universe whatever you want to word you want to use to to the earth to a higher consciousness. That's what's beautiful about this practice is it does transform us to experience a sense of connection to the vastness of all life.
0: And something you said in the book that I really loved and I definitely wanted to speak to was the unique effectiveness it had on existential anxiety, which we don't really have a lot of kind of therapeutic interventions for that. You know, medication doesn't seem to be very helpful in that situation. Um religion does and I can speak from my experience that I mean when your anxiety is so bad everything makes you anxious and you're worried about everything at least the level that I was experiencing it and through yoga and not the physical practice of yoga but the spiritual practice of yoga and studying the sutras and and going and doing a teacher training that helped massively and that is a form of religion in a way right so can you speak quickly to how this can help because i definitely there are women in my community who experience this and i'm just like i don't know You know, I right. don't what I do from like a diet, hormonal, gut health perspective, it's not going to really help with that.
1: Well, I think, um, you know, I'm a very holistic uh minded physician, and um, I definitely believe that your diet has a huge impact um, in your mental health. and I I'm so thrilled that you're doing what you're doing out there because when we're fueling our body with crap, um, that causes inflammation and um messes up our digestion and our gut flora like we're basically creating like suboptimal uh basic building blocks to to build a healthy brain and mm-hmm. um we know more and more than ever that depression and anxiety are neuroinflammatory conditions there and that this your diet makes a huge impact so yeah, and, and the and the awe method also from our research and what we understand definitely makes a huge impact as well. Um, but specific, coming back around to what you're talking about with existential anxiety, I just want to briefly share with the listeners the, the distinction between what we talk about in our book of actionable anxiety versus existential anxiety. So anxiety that happens, let's say, from you know, stress at work. Um Raising children, um, you know, like some of our our health stuff that is not uh, life threatening, you know, these are all things that we can we have actions and things that we can do to help improve hopefully the outcome. You know, if we get in a car accident um, and our car is bashed up, we can always get a new car. You know, there's a ways in which we can solve that problem. Now, existential anxiety is the anxiety that happens from being human. And conscious and understanding that life is impermanent, you know, and that all those that we love are going to be likely passed away in the next hundred years. Um, You know, pretty much everyone alive on this planet will not be here and probably in 120 years or so. Even with technology, I mean, most people aren't going to be here. So, um, you know, that's a heavy weight to hold that for the people's minds to feel like uh life is finite and um so yeah you're right uh religion is a big one that people use to soothe that anxiety um you know the the sutras of the yoga that the yogis wrote or whether you know it's judaism or christianity or islam you know all the major religions have philosophies that help people cope with ideas of what happens after we die you know these different stories or creation mythologies that give us a sense of, well, after I die, I go somewhere else. So I feel better about that. Now, for those that don't necessarily believe in those stories, and they're still facing this deep-seated anxiety around our existence, having moments of awe can really help with um, existential anxiety. And it's, it's definitely one way in which we can feel connected to the vastness of of all life and the continuity of life on this planet and so um even if i may not physically be here let's say in 100 years um you know i can still feel it's soothing for the practitioner of this technique to know that that there is this sense of continuity and expansion of of life on this planet and you can really experience that when you have a moment of awe it does soothe one's a sense of aloneness and it helps you feel connected to vastness and this is what why people use psychedelics by the way as well um mm-hmm. you know a lot of people will turn towards uh psilocybin or ecstasy um mdma particular um the scientific name for it um it's used quite common for people that are struggling with end of life care issues um because it does create a sense of connection that vastness the sense of oneness it it goes to that sense of non-duality um which is you know what religion does as well um yeah i hope that that answers some of the questions that yeah. you had there yeah
0: yeah no i just wanted to point it out because as i mentioned i do know i've had many conversations with women in my community and those that i work with and and this is a topic that does come up um and it's something that i have also experienced and found immense relief from through yoga, which I would consider a religion in its own way, a spiritual practice. And so I loved when I saw that in the book, I want to talk about, you mentioned that, you know, the mental health conditions being this neuroinflammatory response with neuroinflammatory condition. Let's talk about how this practice of awe can help to reduce inflammation. Cause that is a huge part of the work I do that might've There were lots of favorite parts of the book. I love at the end how you give all these different examples of practices people can start to find awe in, you know, like in the shower, watching the clouds, like there were so many examples, which I love that practical aspect because people might be thinking like, oh my gosh, what do I look at? Where do I start? But then my favorite part of the book is where you got into the science (laughs) because I love that. (laughs) So let's chat about that. Quickly or maybe not too quickly, but how is yeah, this helping can... with the cytokines <laughs> and the inflammation? And because it is impacting the body on a cellular level. It's not just kind of up in the mind.
1: Yeah. So I want to share a little bit about the background of mm-hmm. what cytokines are. Because I think Please. if I share the story of that, I think that is really awe-inspiring. You know, when I think about cytokines, I'm just in so so much awe. Um, And that's sort of part of the the basic story of um, all life on this planet. So the earth is 4 billion years old and um, life on earth evolved, you know, kind of in that primordial soup um, with the chemicals that came about. And we first had single cellular organisms a billion plus years ago. And the way that these individual organisms would communicate with each other were with these protein molecules called cytokines and cytokines are some of the oldest molecules on the entire planet that still exist today and we as we've evolved as humans through you know our lineage of mammals and stuff Um, continue to have the same basic system that our cells communicate with each other with the same system that is a billion years plus old. I mean, it's just incredible.
0: That is so incredible. I have goosebumps.
1: (laughs) Right? I know. And the basic system, it's very simple. And it's how our immune system works today. And it's how our brain works today. It's all about, am I safe? or am I under threat? It all comes down to that, you know? And I'm just like, I'm in awe of like how true that is today. You know, For everything in like the, the complexity of our modern world, like with let's say gun violence, that that brings, you know, all the threat that people are experiencing because of the fear of of weapons and the kids that now deal with that, feel that threat. That's mm-hmm. existential anxiety that little kids are having to deal with going to school. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, which has a huge impact and downstream on our nervous systems and our health. So, the cytokine system basically has two camps. There's chemo- there's cytokines that say I'm safe, they're safe, they're called safety cytokines. And then there's the camp that says threat, I'm under threat, the threat cytokines. And so, the different molecules will send off different. Um, Different types of cytokines of whether one is feeling safe and under threat. And then it communicates to the other cells around it. And this is what's been going on for billions of years on this planet and how things, everything's evolved. So now we come to us as humans and we have very complex physiologies with, you know, our, our genetic code is very complex. And yet our immune system still uses these cytokines of safety versus threat. And one of the ways in which all works, which is just so amazing, (laughs) incredible,
0: (laughs) awe-inspiring,
1: so awe-inspiring, there is no other
0: word for it,
1: (laughs) it's like, yeah, is that these studies were done at, at, um, at my, at UC Berkeley, where we did our research as well by one of my colleagues, where they had people practice different positive emotions and experience them, like love and gratitude, generosity, and the motion of awe was the only positive emotion that lowers the threat cytokines, the dangerous cytokines. And for those that recall what was going on with COVID, um, people were dying of what was called a cytokine storm. And basically, the body was really um, quite confused from the COVID uh, virus and the body was essentially self-destructing with all this inflammation and people's lungs were filling up with liquid and fluid, which is all inflammatory based. And they were dying like very quickly with nothing that could stop it. And so our bodies have this like billion year old system of saying safety versus threat. Now, as we learn more and more about inflammation and what's going on in the body, as these cytokines work through inflammatory pathways and so when let's say you are infected with a staph infection and you need to your body needs to create a fever to fight it off that's one of our mechanisms these inflammatory cytokines are released our body temperature goes up it's it calls in different immune cells the white blood cells the another group of cells called pmns and they all come in and they all fight that infection and on a chronic basis though however this is really bad. It's very destructive. And chronic inflammation results in the development of cancer, results in heart disease, results in diabetes, results in autoimmune disease. So pretty much all these chronic illnesses that we're plagued with, with heart disease, diabetes, um, autoimmune disease, cancers, they're all due to um, an imbalance with inflammation in the body. And so awe, we know, can really transform and help people's bodies decrease on a cellular level uh, chronic inflammation that's that's kind of the one big uh, amazing part of how this works now we also know from through there's four aspects of how the emotion of all works in our body so that's one of them which is how it changes the cytokines and that impacts our inflammation in our physical body as well as our brain as well the next way we know this method works is that it stimulates the vagus nerve we talked a little about that earlier about when you take a deep exhale out, we're simulating the vagus nerve, which is the master computer of our autonomic nervous system that takes us to that parasympathetic state, that rest and digest state. It's the opposite of the tiger chasing us, which is the sympathetic state. The parasympathetic is the rest, healing, and repair state. Another way in which this works, the third way, is that it quiets down the part of the brain that's called the default mode network. It's People call it the DMN. And it's it's several different regions of the brain that together is where we have our ruminating thoughts. It's that those thousands and thousands of thoughts that just randomly are happening all day long when we're out there in the world. And when we have this practice, we know from brain studies is that it lowers the activity of the DMN, which brings us to more sense of calmness and presence and has benefit for our mental health. You know when we're dealing with a lot of anxiety, it's because our DMN is out of control. Like we're mm-hmm. just and our in particular our, our amygdala. Um and it's uh, a little the,
0: archaic. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the exactly. Amygdala. It's very archaic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like the, the kinds. <laughs> yes. I know. I mean, we we they call it well, the reptilian brain, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that the they like we call um scientists neuroscientists call, call the the kind of lower part of the brain, which gets triggered by the fight or flight response. It's as though we're being chased by tigers all the time, but they're not physical tigers. They're just the mental tigers of mm-hmm. all, everything we're worried about all the time and stress. And then, you know, and, and these, and so the last part, and I want to talk a little more about health in general and why this yeah. is so important, but is that the, the method also, um, increases oxytocin secretion which mm. is um the the bonding the trust the love, the love hormone,
0: hormone. <laughs> yeah
1: and so um makes us feel safe right it's, all this is around safety and that's where the this is the big picture that we need to take from this um and we have a whole chapter of our book that we dedicate to this is around about human health is um is is so complex and it's it's tied into all these issues that are um, like all the different um, the racisms and the different and xenophobias and the fears that we're constantly plagued with for here in the United States of like the of kids going to school where they're yeah. going to get murdered. I mean, that just creates so much threat, cytokine storm in their bodies like all the time. I mean, no wonder why kids are dealing with diabetes and obesity. It's because the body feels like it's under a state of threat. It's like hoarding calories. It's hoarding, it's preparing for a massive famine that's going to happen, but that's not going to happen. And so it's, it's causing all these massive problems of, you know, young kids are having heart attacks. It's just, it's insane Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: our society is become to a point where we're just always under a state of threat. Um, And we need all more than ever to really help us um is one of the techniques to to help create a sense of well-being and health
0: I echo all of that
1: <laughs> yeah um and I think it's wonderful what you're doing with nutrition and anxiety um I mean I think for those of us that have you know to have a mindfulness practice and can be aware of how our our mind and body feels on a subtle level you know, when you eat certain foods instantaneously, it can trigger emotions. I mm-hmm. mean, um, I noticed that myself, you know, um, certain meals you'll have that are really healthy and and filled with whole foods and, um, good oils like you and, and things that are, you know, pre prebiotics for your digestive tract, like you feel good emotionally, instantaneously, your body physiologically feels good, mm-hmm. um, which translates into our our mental health immediately. So, I really, um, I'm so grateful you're doing this work and you're sharing this out there in the world.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we. I mean, we talked about inflammation, and that is one of the biggest roles that diet has. Is diet is either going to reduce inflammation or eliminate inflammation, or it's going to feed inflammation. And I say all the time, like you can't supplement your way out of this. Like you, you've got to look at the diet if we're talking about inflammation. And even with Awe, and you know, it's been proven that it is reducing these cytokines. It's like the only uh positive emotion that's reducing them. You would still have to address the diet, or else you're gonna be microdosing with awe just all day long, trying to keep up, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's a holistic picture, and I think the um what the awe method is 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 really doing, and we talk about this in the book, is you know of course, what we just talked about on a physiological level, but on a mental health level, it is changing our level of consciousness. So we're getting these microdose glimpses of nirvana, that that profound state of awakening of pure presence. Um, I think it's a little bit beyond the scope of the podcast, but we do talk about in our book, this idea of three levels of consciousness, which is really the yeah. life's work
0: I loved of that. co-author
1: Jay Eagle, who's a psychotherapist. And that um, we're pretty much always living in a state of what's called safety consciousness. It's at the lowest level. And what awe does is it pops us out of that into this higher level of spacious consciousness where it's that contemplative spiritual state that um, is a a way of resetting our nervous system. And it changes the tone of everything in our lives when we're accessing those states of awe and wonder on a daily basis.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone's gonna to have to read the book to learn about the states of consciousness. I really resonated with that part as well. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you forever. I loved this. This was fantastic. Thank you for putting it out there in the world. And thank yeah. you so much for coming on.
1: I'd love to read a little bit from the book just to wrap oh, up today, please. if that would be okay.
0: I would love that.
1: Yeah. So this is from our epilogue. And I what I really like about the epilogue is that we talk about how. This is more than just a self-help technique, but really has the potential of of healing the planet on a deep level. Um, So I'll just read a few paragraphs here. The awe method is more than a self-help technique and the implications of awe go well beyond personal transformation. Awe touches everything and perhaps most telling is the effect it has on others. We're wired to attune to others' behaviors and moods. Our nervous system senses the emotions of those around us. Just as being the recipient of a warm smile can lighten our mood, when we're in awe, those around us feel it too. Awe is contagious. And so practicing the awe method is one not-so-small way we can contribute to the world. In this book, we cover how the awe method is grounded in science and that a whole body of science supports that awe changes lives. So we have a big, simple crash ending to the power behind the simple practice of the awe method if practiced frequently enough by enough people a critical mass as it were everyone would experience a significant heightened shift in consciousness Awe changes us and when we share our awe we change the world how can we be in awe of someone and physically or emotionally harm them how can we be in awe of the natural world and destroy it how can we be in awe of life itself and not live as if every day were a miracle In awe, the tone of every conversation from personal to political shifts, from having an agenda to being open and curious, our conversations impact how we raise our kids, how we help our aging parents, how we treat our spouse, how we participate in community, how we mentor or supervise people, how we govern a city and how we lead a nation. We can think of no downside to practicing the awe method because awe is the light, the appreciation of nature and different cultures, The curious and open mind, the generous and giving soul, even during times of darkness. These days, we need awe more than ever. Awe awaits you and surrounds you in the ordinary moments of your life. Like the view of the stars that fill the night sky, awe is free and available. All you need to do is pay attention to what you value, appreciate and find amazing, wait and exhale and expand into the unlimited timelessness of awe.
0: Wow. That was so powerful. It really Mm -hmm. is needed now more than ever. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that the universe sent this to me (laughs) so that (laughs) I learned it and I can share it. And thank you again so much for your time. I had such a, this was a great conversation.
1: Thank you so much, Tay. And thank you everyone in your community. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future and feel free to reach out to me at the power um, I love getting messages from people and I write everyone back. He sends me a note. So. Oh, it's a um, human behind there. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of free resources on our website and we really want this to be a, a positive change movement to really help people out there in the world. And um, so I'm really, it's been an honor to get to connect with you and I'm So grateful for you doing this good work in the world. So thank you so much, Tay.
0: Thank you. And I will link all of that in the show notes. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality and there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing my legal medical disclaimer the breaking up with anxiety podcast with me taylor jandro is for general information and educational purposes only and the advice and recommendations i give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice the consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner client relationship with me and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode. Bye for now.